This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. You are listening to Veggie Doctor Radio, and this is episode number 65. Dr. Michelle May on mindful eating and the harms of dieting. Hey, I'm your host, Dr. Yami. I'm a board certified pediatrician, certified health and wellness coach, author, and speaker. I'm also a passionate promoter of the power of diet and lifestyle in preventing and reversing chronic disease and bringing joy and longevity into our lives. This podcast is focused on plant-based nutrition, habit formation, motivation, and mindset so that you can have the tools to live the best life possible. Are you ready to get started? Let's do this. Diets don't work and they can possibly harm us. So this idea, well, I'm just going to lose 30 pounds just sets you up for more issues, more problems. And the sooner we can start getting back to learning how to listen to our bodies again, the better off we'll be. Welcome back, veggie lovers. Happy Sunday. Hope you're having a fabulous, plantastic day. I'm back again this week with an interview, a great conversation with the Dr. Michelle May. Last week, I introduced the topic of health at every size to you. And this is a foundational principle for you to understand in order for you to start thinking about why dieting is not necessarily the best thing to do for your health and your well-being. Because automatically when we start talking about not dieting and not needing to focus on weight loss, one of the first things I hear is people saying, well, then what about health? Don't we care about health? And last week I talked about how we can pursue health, how we can pursue well-being without having to focus on weight and weight loss. And that's going to be one of those difficult things for some people. I mean, it took me a long time to accept this. I'm just going to be honest. It took a long time. I didn't always believe it. I didn't want to believe it because I always wanted to have an excuse to try to get skinny. It's going to be, it's going to be flat out honest. Like my health was great, but I wanted to have an excuse like, oh, well, they say that if I am not a certain BMI, then I'm at increased risk for all these things. So in order to be ultimately, ultimately healthy, I need to keep dieting, which was basically just ruining my life because I was over obsessing about my weight, my size and diets and restricting and binging, which that definitely was not helping me. So if you haven't already listened to the episode number 64 on health at every size, I hope that you go back and listen to it because it's going to give you a good foundation on what that is, what those principles are and why I think it's important. But this week, we're going to talk to Dr. Michelle May. Before I introduce her, I want to remind you 
about my book and my newsletter. So if you want to find out more about it, if you want to get a little taste of what I talk about in my book, sign up for my newsletter and you will get a free download. It's really fabulous that you can learn about feeding your family in ways that promote health. So go to my website, dryami.com, D-O-C-T-O-R-Y-A-M-I.com. You can go to the homepage and sign up for my newsletter there, or you can go to dryami.com forward slash sign up, S-I-G-N-U-P. Alternatively, you can text the word fiber, F-I-B-E-R, to the number 66866. Text fiber to 66866. All right, well, let's get started. This was a great conversation. I reached out to Dr. May because I actually found her on a list of experts that could talk more about health at every size. So I wanted to talk to somebody about this and have somebody else's perspective on my podcast, not just my own. But I discovered that she is a great resource. She has lots of experience, not only personal experience, but experience helping other people. So I think that you're really going to appreciate this interview and get a lot out of it. Dr. Michelle May is a recovered yo-yo dieter and the founder of Am I Hungry? Mindful Eating Programs and Training that guides individuals to resolve mindless and emotional eating and senseless yo-yo dieting to live the vibrant life they crave. Over 700 health and wellness professionals have been trained to facilitate Am I Hungry programs worldwide. Dr. May is the award-winning author of the book series, Eat What You Love, Love What You Eat. And her website is www.amihungry.com, A-M-I-H-U-N-G-R-Y.com. Well, here we go. Let's listen to a conversation with myself and Dr. Michelle May. Michelle May, thank you so much for joining me today on Veggie Doctor Radio. It is such a pleasure to have you. Also a physician, but an expert of mindful eating. So I want to get started and talking about your many years that you struggled with food and body image. Can you tell me more about that? And what do you think prompted that struggle? You know, I I think I was naturally a voracious eater as a kid. My family really loved food and uh, enjoyed delicious foods. My grandmothers were both amazing cooks. And so it was just part of my childhood maybe to be a little larger than some of my friends. But as I got older, uh, I became self-conscious about that and started dieting, started dieting at a fairly young age, 11 or 12, and dieted all the way through high school, college, medical school, and even into my practice. So looking back, probably 25 years of yo-yo dieting and body image struggles. And I think, you know, that's actually not that uncommon of a story. In the work that I do around disordered eating and mindful eating, many of the people I work with tell me that their issues started when they were younger and had some perceived body problem that needed to be fixed. 
And with that first diet began years and years and years of obsession and disordered eating and weight cycling. Mm -hmm. And you mentioned part of your story is that you and your family shared this love of food, cooking and eating was part of your culture. Is there anything wrong with that? I don't think there's anything wrong with that. In fact, I think it's really problematic that in our, in our uh, very weight-obsessed, diet-obsessed culture, we make the love of food and um, eating out to be a problem. And I think that that's really part of the problem. I like to tell people the solution is to learn how to love food more, not less. Because I think food is supposed to be part of how we connect with other people, how we engage in our, in our families and with friends. And eating should be a really natural, pleasurable part of the way that we take care of ourselves. It, it can become a problem when it's the primary way we take care of ourselves. But I think in balance, it really is a wonderful way to add pleasure to our lives. Yeah, that's such a good point. And I think we, you know, the terms that come to mind is guilty pleasure. It's almost like we don't want to allow ourselves to have pleasure from our food because we feel that if we do have pleasure, we're doing something bad, we're doing something wrong, eating some kind of forbidden food. That's right. And I think that that, unfortunately, that belief system actually drives a lot of the problems that we end up seeing. So I call what you described the eat, repent, repeat cycle, mm -hmm. because oftentimes people will eat and then because of the cultural messages around eating and size and other issues, health, nutrition, then they feel guilty. So then they say that they're going to restrict or deprive themselves of certain foods that they usually enjoy. And then that creates more obsession with those foods. They think about them more, they place them up on a pedestal. So that those foods actually gain more value over them. And in the long run, when they finally uh, lose all the willpower that it takes to avoid those foods, they end up overeating because in the back of their mind, they're saying, well, I shouldn't be doing this and I'm not going to do it tomorrow and I'll never eat this again. And then they create this cycle of, of, of overeating that then again leads back to the repentance phase. So that vicious cycle ends up being what I would call disordered eating. But as you know, it's so common in our society that people think it's normal to obsess about food that way and to be constantly talking about how bad you were last night and how long it's going to take you on the treadmill to burn it off. I mean, that is not normal, is it? It's not normal. And you're right. It's so common. And I started dieting when I was about nine years old. So I spent about three decades in that vicious cycle. And it is a very vicious cycle. I've seen so many women come to the belief that they're food addicts, but it's all created from these thoughts. We generate so much drama around food and what we can and can't eat that it becomes like this life or death struggle. And it's so, so painful and just sucks so many years of life away from women and men. It's just very, very common. Yeah, I thank you for saying that. I, I completely agree with you. And in fact, that's really, I think, the biggest 
issue around this. And it's why I've developed so much passion. And I can tell you have a lot of passion around this too, is that I just, it really breaks my heart to see people waste years and years of their life, hoping that something about their body is going to change. And yet the days, the years just keep ticking by while they wait for something to happen. And and of course, what we know is that the problem actually just gets worse. And, and you know, people will spend millions of dollars. Our culture spends billions of dollars trying to break out of that cycle, and it only gets worse and worse. Yeah, it's it's really just a vicious cycle, just like you called it. But you found another way. So tell me what caused you to realize that there may be another way. What was that little insight that you had in your brain as you were observing other people in your life? You know, it, it was actually a couple of things, but the main thing was I was already in my medical practice. And by then I had been doing this for 25 years. And I kept seeing a lot of my patients doing the same thing. And of course, these were people who were presidents of companies and moms of four kids. and otherwise really successful people. And I thought, gosh, you know, here we are, we're obviously intelligent and accomplished, yet we're having this one area of our lives that we're struggling with. It just didn't make sense. And I just couldn't really fathom how it wasn't just me, but so many of us. And then around that time, I also had young children and I observed this natural, beautiful connection to food they didn't obsess about it. If they wanted a hamburger, they ordered the hamburger. When they were full, they would leave, leave a bun on their plate without worrying about it. They just didn't obsess about food the way that I did. They had this natural, healthy, balanced relationship with food. And that's what I wanted. And so I decided that I needed to stop dieting and start really paying more attention to my own body wisdom about how to do this because I've really come to the conclusion that all of us, most of us are born with this natural ability to manage our eating effortlessly. And for those who've unlearned it, we can learn it again. Oh, that is so beautiful. And I love how you learn that from your children because they are the ultimate mindful, intuitive eaters. They're born with that ability until they learn to do it a different way when we teach them to do it a different way usually. Okay. Um, but yeah, that's, that's so awesome that they, as little kids, ended up being your teacher and gave you that insight. That is really, really cool. So tell yeah, me. it is cool. And I'm really glad it happened before I ruined them, <laughs> you know, because I well, could have, I, I hear this often that parents who are obsessing and then controlling their children end up with the very problems they were most afraid of. Oh, that's exactly what I write about in my book. And I'll, I'll tell you, <laughs> because I have one son by birth and I have one adopted son. And when we adopted my son, so I've been yo-yo dieting and obsessed with eating and all of that stuff with my weight and all of that stuff. But when my adopted son came home, it was about a month or two later that I finally got off the dieting bandwagon. I was like, I'm not going to diet. I'm not going to weigh myself. I'm going to try to learn this this way. You know, I still struggled for a few years after that. It's not one of those like perfection immediately, but my younger son 
he still had that ability to just like, he's one of those kids that he can literally leave like half a piece of cake, you know? And I'd be just like, what is wrong with this child? But my older son, he was already older. I, since he was born, had been super freaked out about making sure that he didn't overeat because I was, you know, this chubby kid growing up and I didn't want him to be an overeater like me and just very controlling about his food and taught him all this stuff. He still to this day has the inability to eat like the most pleasurable parts of his food first. He wants to eat the healthy part first. So he eats all the vegetables first. (laughs) He still has those habits that I taught him. So it really does. However, once I found the way I've been trying to repeat him. He has relearned some of those more mindful and intuitive um, habits. So it can be retaught even to children after we've taught them a different way. But yeah, the the best idea is just to not ruin them in the first place, right? (laughs) Prevent prevent it from the beginning. But I didn't know, and so that's why it's so important for us to go out and tell people that it's so counterintuitive. You think that you're going to be making your child healthy by restriction and by, or by telling or forcing them to eat their vegetables. But in both cases, it does the opposite. <laughs> Backfires. So, you know, that brings up this, I, I, I know you've heard about this new WW app for kids that everybody's talking about. You know, it really, it, it's really upsetting to me because, you know, you know that Weight Watchers International has to be aware that there are real issues with disordered eating, with chronic dieting. And yet, you know, they've released this app. Um, I, a dietitian acquaintance of mine downloaded the app and she pretended that she basically was a person who met the criteria for anorexia and she logged in celery and water and, you know, mustard. And the app said, way to go, green light foods, you know, I mean, really problematic stuff. And so I just, I think parents want the best for their kids. And they're certainly hearing a lot from the media and their doctors about the concern about weight. And so I understand that they're wanting to help, but it really scares me that creating the next generation of yo-yo dieters and chronic weight cycling, and in some cases, if children are prone to it, eating disorders. So, you know, we have to be really careful about experimenting on our kids. Absolutely. And, you know, I feel like people, for the most part, have good intentions. Of course, WW is a business. And fortunately, in our society, but unfortunately for them, I think there's a lot of people waking up to this and not wanting to diet anymore. So it could be that they're just reaching for straws. They're like, okay, how, how else can we branch out and get a new generation of dieters that we can take along with us for decades? Because that's what happened. I did Weight Watchers several times. I, I know did, a lot of 17. dieters. <laughs> Yeah, I know a lot of us yo-yo dieters have the Weight Watchers, you know, wanted to, I, I never got to Lifetime. I was super close. I was like five pounds away. I always wanted, I was like, one of my gold star Lifetime cards. But that's a good way to hook a customer, right? Like, Absolutely. So I think everybody has best intentions, but I think that there's still not enough of us that are aware 
that this really psychologically can just cause years of harm. Even if somebody doesn't develop a full-blown diagnosable eating disorder, this disordered eating is harmful to health and psychologically very, very harmful. Absolutely. So tell me more about mindful eating and the way that you describe it in your book and for your program. What does that mean? So I know, I know mindful eating has become kind of popular these days. I think oftentimes when I'm out there, I see two mistakes. One is people refer to mindful eating as a way to manage their weight, which is no different from any other diet. That's not the purpose of mindful eating. And the other way that I see it misused is focusing purely on the sensory aspect of a meal, which is part of mindful eating. But for me, I really look at mindful eating as the entire process of eating begins long before you ever put a bite of food in your mouth with really understanding what drives your whole entire eating cycle. So I developed a a mindful eating cycle model that I use to help teach people how to become more aware of all the decisions that are often unconscious about our eating, beginning with why do I eat in the first place? When do I feel like eating? What do I eat? How do I eat it? How much of it do I eat? And then where do I invest the energy that I've consumed, which of course leads us right back to why do I eat? So it's really this very, um, I think, a, a structured way of relearning how to listen to the messages is giving us about food and eating and nutrition and movement and self-care. So yeah, I, I mean, I think I, I think the the point is that mindful eating, mindfulness in general, just helps us bring awareness to the decisions that we're making so that we can break through unexamined habits, things that we do unconsciously that we don't even realize. For example, what you and I have been talking about, maybe you don't even realize that the reason you do what you do is because you know that next diet is coming, that restriction is coming, and that's why you can't stop eating until the bag of chips is gone. And so mindfulness can help us become aware of habits like that, for example. And I know that a lot of people are probably thinking, so maybe I'll just do this diet until I lose 30 pounds, and then I'm going to give mindful eating a try. What really is the problem with dieting? Why is it not compatible with this way of approaching food in our bodies? Well, there's a lot of problems with it. Um, Number one is that dieting is... And again, we're referring mostly to dieting with the attempt of losing weight. I mean, the word, as you know, diet simply refers to your pattern of eating, but that's not the way that we use it in our culture. So dieting to lose weight really starts with the premise that there is something fundamentally wrong with you, that you are not good enough the way that you are. And in order to be good enough, you need to change your body size and shape. So that's problem number one. Number two is that the research doesn't actually support that a lower body or that a higher body weight is universally associated with poorer health. And so as a physician, I see a lot of problems with judging somebody's well-being based on the size of their body. I think it's really important for us to do the hard work of getting a good 
family history, medical history, exam, appropriate labs, and not make assumptions. Because if we make assumptions that all thin people are healthy, we're going to miss those thin people who are not healthy. If we make assumptions that all larger bodied people are unhealthy, we're going to make mistakes there too. And the research clearly does not show a direct correlation, even though that's what the cultural message has been. So that's the second problem. The third problem is that diets don't work. They don't result in lasting weight change. The vast majority, depending on the research you review, is well over 90%. The vast majority of people will lose weight but regain it, and some of them will gain more than they lost. And so if you really believe that weight is an issue, the last thing we should be doing is promoting dieting because ultimately that creates more problems. So I think a fourth problem is that this focus on dieting and weight ends up feeding weight stigma. Weight stigma is this bias that we have about people of different size bodies and shapes. And of course, stigma of any kind is harmful to our health. It, it promotes issues, medical problems and, and socioeconomic problems and other issues that are very stressful on the body. And of course, issues that are some of the health problems that people blame on size may in fact be due to the stigma that people live with when they're in a larger size body. And then the additional problem is that diets and weight focus feed into disordered eating and eating disorders and weight cycling. And so I guess the, that's a long answer, which basically boils down to diets don't work and they can possibly harm us. So this idea, well, I'm just going to lose 30 pounds just sets you up for more issues, more problems. And the sooner we can start getting back to learning how to listen to our bodies again, the better off we'll be. Yeah, I mean, that's excellent. Like just, you said that so amazingly well, but I just think you're right. Culturally, even the medical community, the media has been drilling into us over and over and over again, that if you are overweight, if you have a certain BMI, that you are automatically unhealthy. So there's almost like this despair, like this urgency and I'm a, a health coach as well. So even though I see little ones for medical care, I see adult women that want to improve their health and feel better. And some of them just really want to keep dieting because they keep saying, I just, I just need to be healthy. I need to be healthy. So then I ask them, what does health mean to you? We go through all the criteria and guess what? They have it already. They already have that. What is it? I ask them, what is it that makes you unhealthy? Well, I'm still overweight. Okay. What if I told you that that's not necessarily true? It does just because you're a certain weight doesn't automatically make you unhealthy. If all of the criteria that you have for being healthy have already been met, guess what? You are a healthy person. And I think it's so hard for us to get that through our brains because on the TV, in the newspaper, on social media every day, it's drilled into our brains that you are not healthy unless you are thin. Right. So I just want to get that out there because I think a lot of people are also, especially in the medical community, aren't going to believe me because we're taught that as physicians as well. That's right. And I think the other thing that's really important about this is that weight is not a behavior. 
and therefore it is not subject to behavior change. Hey humans, I know you want to eat healthier but feel strapped for time and even the thought of meal planning and cooking stresses you out. Well, have you considered trying a meal kit service? Green Chef is the number one meal kit for eating well, delivering pre-portioned and prepped quality whole foods with limited processed ingredients. Green Chef sends organic, fresh produce, and chef-designed recipes in every box for satisfying, nourishing, and convenient meals that make it easy to stick to a healthy living routine. Find recipes for every lifestyle, including plant-based diets. Green Chef delivers quality whole foods with limited processed ingredients, including low added sugar and sodium smart options. You get to choose from 80 plus flavor packed options that allow you to take back time in your kitchen with dinner ready in 30 minutes and lunch in 10. Try 15 plus new recipes every week. But here's the best part. Green Chef delivers everything you need to make convenient, wholesome, and delicious meals directly to your doorstep. Each meal kit includes pre-measured ingredients, as well as some produce that comes already pre-chopped and custom sauces that are pre-made in-house. They also provide their recipe cards and the meals are really simple to make. It's a delicious, fresh, home-cooked meal without the hassle. What I love the most about Green Chef is that it takes the stress out of cooking. The recipes are easy to follow and everything you need is included. So even the less experienced cooks in your house can make a delicious home cooked meal. It's perfect for those seasons in your life that you're really busy with your kids' sports and school events. Hello, spring. And time is limited, especially if you want fresh, home cooked, healthy meals to put on the table. So if you're feeling frustrated by the lack of time to eat healthy and you are ready to try Green Chef and see how easily you can integrate it into your healthy lifestyle, go to greenchef.com forward slash I am human five zero and use code I am human five zero to get 50% off plus 20% off your next two months. That's greenchef.com forward slash I am human five zero and use the code I am human five zero to get 50% off plus 20% off your next two months. Green Chef, the number one meal kit for eating well. Equilibria is a woman-owned wellness brand with products intended to bring your mind and body back in harmony. They consider themselves a by women and for women company, and they now offer a nutrient-dense green powder called Daily Nutrigreens. Myself and my staff here at Nourish Wellness all tried the Daily Nutrigreens, and we loved it. The Daily Nutrigreens contain an immune antioxidant and detox blend, along with prebiotics, probiotics, and over 35 fruits and veggies. It also contains other important nutrients, such as B12, iron, iron, zinc, and selenium. The daily greens are certified organic and all you have to do is mix it with water, but you can also easily add to your smoothies, your oatmeal, or your baked goods. The daily Nutri-Greens are vegan, gluten-free, and non-GMO. And another bonus is that the packaging is compostable. Yay! When I tried the apple banana daily Nutri-Greens, I was surprised by the pleasant and mild flavor. It was easy to prepare and drink and didn't leave any aftertaste. And I felt great afterwards. It's really easy to create a daily ritual around your green drink, integrated into your daily self-care routine. A green powder is one way to fill the gap in daily nutrition and is an easy and convenient way to get in your greens. These powders are a great way to add more nutrients into your diet during busy times, travel, and transitions in life when you don't have time or access to fresh green veggies. 
If you're interested in trying Equilibria's daily Nutrigreens, head to myeq.com and use code Dr. Yami, that's D-R-Y-A-M-I, for 15% off Equilibria's daily Nutrigreens and much more. That's myeq.com and use code Dr. Yami, D-R-Y-A-M-I, at checkout for 15% off site-wide today. So ultimately, the things that we can do to bring health right now or well-being is even a preferred term because even health has kind of become a code word for dieting and weight change, right? So to bring well-being, we need to focus on the decisions that I'm making right now. What am I going to have for my lunch? How much of this am I going to eat? How am I going to feel afterward? How can I move my body right now? Even if I don't have perfect fitness or even health, is there some way that I can practice self-care right now rather than postponing living my life until I've lost that 30 pounds or met some external measure of success or beauty or health? Because ultimately those are not satisfying and that's how people get stuck in this pattern, this repetitious pattern of doing the same things that lead them farther and farther and farther away from what they say they really want. Mm-hmm. So what would you tell somebody that's still like, oh, I really kind of want to diet. So if I'm not guaranteed weight loss on this whole mindful eating journey, what am I going to get from it? What is really the ultimate goal of eating in this way? Well, I don't know what's going to happen to your weight and neither do you, but I do know that if you continue to diet, it is very likely that your weight will continue to cycle up and down and possibly even go higher. So I like to focus on my decisions right now. And so what mindful eating will do is it'll give me the ability to eat what I love and love what I eat. Titles of my book, right? You know, that's that's, uh, where that really came from is this idea that I can eat the foods that I really enjoy and that when there are no more forbidden foods, the foods that I used to struggle with, like you said, the ones I used to think I was addicted to, they lose their power. So now I like to say that when guilt is no longer a factor, common sense will prevail. I can, I can notice that if I overdo a particular food or eat a certain type of food that doesn't agree with me, my body gives me feedback that says, hey, that didn't work out so well. You know, next time let's do this. Mindfulness allows us to notice how we feel and what we eat and what we eat and how we feel. And ultimately, my life begins to unfold one decision, one moment at a time without constantly obsessing about everything I eat and all the calories I need to burn and postponing my life until something changes. I get to live my life right now. And it's a beautiful thing. Yeah. Without the drama, we can let go of all that drama and just feel good. I mean, I feel like that's a great goal. Why don't we just feel good about food, feel good about our bodies. And also whenever, you know, you talked about if you eat something that you're like, ugh, I don't feel great afterwards. It doesn't feel like this guilty, shameful thing. It's just like, oh, well, I shouldn't probably eat two pieces of cake Mm -hmm. because I feel 
great afterwards. It's not like I'm a horrible person because I ate two pieces of cake, you know? Yeah. It's the difference guilt between guilt and regret. You know, regret leaves the door open for learning, whereas guilt keeps us stuck in our past behaviors and, and promising to repent in the future. When in actuality, regret just says, hey, that didn't work out great. What can I learn from this situation? How am I going to move forward? And what all of this does is ultimately when we put our decisions around eating and exercise back into proportion, it creates a lot more space in our lives to live those lives, to actually go out and do the things that we want to do that really do make us happy and bring us well-being because we're not so preoccupied with food in our body. Yes, absolutely. When that number one goal every January 1st is not to lose weight. You have so much more time to do other things on your list. Absolutely. I mean, it's amazing to me. You know, I I said I yo-yo dieted for 25 years. I have not dieted now for 20 years. So I'm hoping at, at some point I can say I've spent more of my life not dieting than dieting. The truth of the matter is that now as, as a person who manages my eating completely naturally and effortlessly. I have space for photography and watercolor and writing books and helping other people and spending time with people I care about and learning how to play pickleball. And, you know, some of the things that I never would have done before because I didn't think I was worthy because I hadn't lost that weight I thought I needed to lose. Yes. It gives so much more space and so much more confidence mm-hmm. because you learn how to trust yourself and then you can go out into the world with this new way of thinking because it applies not just to food it applies to so many choices in the world when we're stuck on this like i have to be a smaller size i have to eat in a certain way it takes away our ability to have confidence and to try out different things so i love that you brought that up well and i, and I think you've made a really good point and that's another thing that i really love about mindful eating is that when we learn how to eat more mindfully, we learn how to live that way too. And I know, you know, so many people who are constantly postponing their lives, you know, when my kids are finally in kindergarten, when they're finally in college, when I finally make enough money, when I finally get the partner I I want, whatever it is, they're constantly postponing their lives until something happens. But of course, when that thing happens, then they're thinking about the next thing. And so I think people live their lives this way too, where they're constantly hoping that some they'll finally be happy in the future. We don't need to live like that. We can learn through the skills of mindful eating how to live mindfully too, which is to be totally present in this moment and enjoying what's happening right now and letting the future unfold as it, as it will. Mm, I love it. I love it. All right. Well, let's go back to something we've already touched upon, but I want you to articulate it a little bit more, which is haze or health at every size. Can you tell me a little bit more about that and how those principles might be helpful for people that have struggled with their weight and this yo-yo dieting cycle? Yeah, so Health at Every Size is a movement, a large movement that's been around for decades. Um, It's been called various things, um, and there are other versions of it that have various names. But the Health at Every Size movement is probably the most formalized um, 
part of the, this kind of movement. And in essence, what it means is that we engage in behaviors and actions so that we feel good right now, not with the intention of changing our body size or shape. And so again, it's about enjoying movement. It's enjoying, it's enjoying our food. It's enjoying all of these you know, things that we do mainly so that it helps us with our well-being right now without this idea that it's all for the purpose of changing our weight. And what do you wish that medical providers, healthcare providers knew when it comes to eating and weight? So I give talks to medical, medical providers, physicians about this, about moving from a weight-centered to a, a weight-inclusive approach to well-being. And when I was preparing the for this talk, the very first time I went to my Facebook group and I asked them, what do you want doctors to know? And what do you want them to know about the issues? They said things like, it makes me mad that my doctor assumes that I eat unhealthy and don't exercise and doesn't even ask me. He just bases his, his judgment on my body size. Um, things like, it, it really... It, it really bothers me that I came in for a sore throat and you are talking to me about going on a diet. I'm not there for my body size. I'm there because of my sore throat. And I don't want to be, you know, I don't want you talking about this when I didn't even give you permission to do so. I'm not there for that. So I wish that physicians understood that when they are centering weight as the end-all be-all to health, they are actually creating distance with their patients. And, and ultimately that does not lead to the kinds of behavior changes that we're all wanting for our, for our patients to live their best life. So if we, could, if we could talk about the things that they could do, whether it's medical testing, whether it's monitoring their blood sugar if they have type 2 diabetes, whether it's um, changing their diet or sleeping more or whatever it is, if we could talk to them about the benefits of those activities without couching it in terms of weight loss, I think we would really help them create behavior changes that truly are sustainable. Absolutely. And as I was doing the research for my book, I was shocked to find that up to a third of women that were surveyed for this one study said that they have at times avoided doctor's visits because they were afraid of judgment, afraid of being weighed, afraid of being told that they needed to lose weight. And just imagine if up to a third of women are not going in, that's opportunity lost where they could have been diagnosed with something that could be treated and things like that, where, you know, they could come in contact with an empathetic human being that can really help them in their life journey. But this fear, like you said, is creating distance and also mistrust. Mm -hmm. But the opposite exists as well. And you mentioned this earlier, that physicians may sometimes misdiagnose in some patients because they assume that that person, if they're lean, there's no way they could have some of these conditions mm -hmm. too. So the weight bias goes both ways. Yeah. So it's important to really keep an open mind and to approach people with empathy 
when it comes to these situations. Yeah, the, and the the other thing that I came across um, was a number of of people who had been misdiagnosed or not even diagnosed at all. You know, people that came in with serious back pain and were told to lose weight and didn't have any studies and later turned out to have malignant um, cancer that was not, or, you know, a malignancy that had spread to their bones and wasn't diagnosed. Or people who were having uh, chest pain and were told to just lose weight. I mean, it's really bad medicine to diagnose everything as obesity and not do the appropriate studies and to and to treat everything with a recommendation to lose weight without really understanding what's going on, especially when we know statistically how ineffective weight loss diets are anyway. So it would be like giving everybody a pill that you know is going to fail 95% of the time, but doing it anyway, and then blaming the patient when it does. Mm-hmm. Well, and there's so many harms to that pill too. It's not a benign course of treatment, you know, it leaves lots of sequelae behind. So yeah, I I think we just need to educate our fellows because I don't think a lot of doctors know this. And I I think that, you know, we're taught very little about nutrition. We're taught very little about prevention in medical school. And it's just the easy thing to say, well, go on a diet, you know, do these things, lose weight, and all of your problems are going to magically resolve. And that's just not what the studies show. And they're, and they're required to, to collect weights and calculate BMIs, even though BMI itself is a ridiculous measure. I mean, it was created back in the, uh, I think, uh, 1700s by a social scientist, not a medical person, um, who was just interested in measuring populations. Later, another doctor in the 40s, I believe, found this BMI. It wasn't even called the body mass index back then. It was called something else. And so he wrote an article about using this body mass index to correlate with health. Well, there was another study that was done that showed that people with a BMI of 32, which is considered in the um, overweight range, that they... Um, if they looked at a population, the average body fat percentage was indeed about 32%. But when they looked at individuals, the body fat percentage ranged from 18 to 42%. So it's a terrible measure of body fat, much less of health. And when you look at the correlation to health, in actuality, the what's considered to be an overweight range up to 30, 29.9, is actually lower risk of mortality than what is considered normal. So why do we have a normal BMI that actually has a higher rate of mortality? This is about weight stigma. This is not about health. And so I think if physicians really understood the kinds of things that they're recommending, and if they had the time to read the research like you and I have, they would be like they would be shocked to find out how how poorly founded the research um, shows how how poorly founded their recommendations for weight loss really are. Yes, and once we let go of this whole need to be a certain weight, a certain BMI, a certain size, we can let go of that requirement 
then our patients, our clients, ourselves, we can have more time to focus on habits that actually increase our well-being. Mm-hmm. This number that at some points for many people, it decreases your well-being, especially psychologically. Mm-hmm. So I think the hard thing to wrap your brain around is that even though, just like we we're talking about with children, it seems so counterintuitive as physicians, we want to help people get healthier. We want to help people feel good. We feel like if you lose weight, you're going to feel good. But when we actually tell people, actually, let's not focus on that. How about we just do habits that do make you feel good? That ends up working better in the long run. And there's plenty of studies to show that people that do adopt the Hayes principles do have improvement in their biomarkers, blood pressure, cholesterol, all of those things. Absolutely. Absolutely. And then, and I recognize, I mean, I think it is important for us to acknowledge that patients are still going to come in requesting weight loss or wanting weight loss. But what I said to, to this group of physicians I spoke with recently is, you know, it's just because that's what they're asking for it doesn't mean that that's what we deliver because after all, they live in the same weight biased culture that we do. So we understand where they're coming from. We understand why they think that weight, their weight needs to change. But we have people come in all the time with viral infections and we don't prescribe antibiotics just because that's what they're asking for. Yes, it takes a little more time to explain to them why you don't want to prescribe this. Yes, you might have a few people that will be dissatisfied, but ultimately it is your responsibility to provide competent, compassionate medical care. And in the case of of weight, I say move away from that conversation toward, as you were talking about behaviors and habits and things that really do make a difference. Yes, and informed consent. Mm. So somebody's going to leave your office, even if you don't prescribe a diet and go find one on their own. Hello, keto. <laughs> you right. know? But it's important to tell them, okay, these are the statistics. This is likely what's going to happen if you lose a bunch of weight on this diet. And these are the psychological possibilities, consequences of doing this. And so at least that way they have that in their mind because it's easy. You know, you can go to the bookstore, you can go to a library, there's like, a whole entire bookshelf full of diet books. Mm-hmm. Uh, Absolutely. So. Well, and I think then the other, the follow-up would be, and I understand if you want to do that anyway, if you do find that it's ineffective for you, please come back because I really can help you with changing your relationship with food. Because I think too often they don't want to come back because we were right. <laughs> you know, Just like they don't want to come back when they've been to a doctor who does promote weight loss and they've lost weight and then they regain it. They don't want to go back because they don't want to be shamed for that. So I think we need to kind of move away from this sort of shame and judgment-based system and really get to a place where we are providing true, compassionate, humanistic care. Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, I have so much empathy because believe me, I was stuck in that cycle and there'd be times when I'm like, okay, I'm not going to diet anymore. I'm not going to weigh myself. And then a few months later, just like, oh, if I could just get those 10 pounds and then I would fall right back into a diet. So I know that mental struggle and how hard it is, you know, it's just so easy to get sucked in. So yeah, I can follow you there. All right. Well, this has been a great conversation. I want to switch gears a little bit and ask you something that I ask all of my guests. I want to know 
what personal habit you are most proud of, how did you develop it, and how do you maintain it? That is a great question. Um, I, I think, I, and I'm, not, I, I'm, I'm struggling because I'm not actually proud of this. It is just integrated into my life. Um, that is that I really enjoy being physically active. Um, there was a time when I exercised walking or you know, being on the treadmill with the purpose of earning the right to eat or punishing myself for eating something I shouldn't have or bet, bet for eating too much. And that has completely gone away. And now I love moving my body because it brings me so much joy. So it might be a hike with my husband and my dog, or I've learned pickleball that I mentioned earlier, this crazy game that's so much fun and so fast and so just a blast. I am a yogi. I love yoga. Um, I've recently, because of I'm now 56, so now I'm starting to do more weight training to build my, my uh, muscle, my bone mass, but I'm not doing it all by myself. I like going to a class where they blast loud music and it's moving really fast and I've got other people I'm with. So for me, physical activity has moved a long way from my old diet days to something that I truly enjoy and look forward to. And I see all the psychological benefits of it in terms of how I feel, how well balanced, how I sleep, all of the energy that I have as a result of that. I can just see it in your face, like your whole face, your whole demeanor just lit up. I can see that from the inside out, you love to move. You love that physical movement. And that key word is joy. And that's what I teach my clients too, because we, for so many years, used exercise as punishment, or like you said, permission. Oh, I'm going to go out tonight. I want to be able to eat pizza and cupcakes or whatever. But man, exercise and movement is so much more than that. It's such a gift. And I can tell that's really in your life, how you see it too. So that's wonderful. Thank you. Well, Dr. May, I want to give you some time to talk about what services you offer and how listeners can connect with you. Thank you. Well, my website is amihungry.com. So A-M-I-H-U-N-G-R-Y.com. And we really provide three different services. We provide things for individuals who need help themselves. We provide training and resources for health and wellness professionals who want to help others. And we also provide workshops and online programs for organizations for their employees. So for your listeners, um, if you go to amihungry.com and you click on free You'll find all kinds of things, a blog, articles, um, some quizzes about your own eating, uh, your own eating style. Um, and then, of course, we have books. I, my book series is called Eat What You Love, Love What You Eat. And it's all about helping people learn how to change from that restrictive cycle to a more mindful cycle. So, um, and then probably my other personally, uh, my other personal favorite in my professional life is running retreats. So I do five day, four night retreats several times a year where we get to work with people intensely for several days. And uh, it's amazing the, the kind of transformation we see. So 
I, that is really one of my favorite things because it's like I get to compress it all down and just watch it happen, you know, blossom right before my very eyes. Wow, that is so cool. What a privilege to be able to do that and really help people with this kind of transformation. Privilege is a good Are word. I really do feel privileged. Thank you. Yeah, that's awesome. Are you on any social media? I am. I'm on Facebook and Twitter. Uh, you'll see me at, at Eat What You Love on Twitter. And um, our Facebook page is Am I Hungry? Awesome. Well, Dr. May, this has been a fabulous conversation. It's been such a pleasure talking with you. I can tell that you are definitely an expert in this area and have so much passion for it. So I really appreciate your time today. And I hope that we are able to connect again in the future. I hope so too. It's really been my pleasure. Thank you for having me. You have a fantastic day. All right, veggie lovers, what did you think? Did you enjoy that conversation? Did you think that was a good interview? I'd love to hear from you. Definitely reach out to me and let me know what you're thinking of these episodes in this series on intuitive eating. Your call to action this week is to reflect upon your dieting history and what harms or benefits have come from it. Are there things through your experiences with dieting that you feel have been helpful to you? If so, what are they? Have there been things that you feel have hurt you? What are those things? And if you are still dieting, what benefits are you getting from that? This is a week of reflection to think about what dieting has done for you. Next week, we are going to be talking about respecting size differences in children. So this is a hot topic in my office as a pediatrician. I think I talk about this almost every single day because parents come in all the time concerned about the size of their child. So if you're one of those people, tune in next week and we will talk about it. If you haven't already, please subscribe to my podcast, rate and review it. That helps me a lot. And definitely, if you feel like it would help somebody else, share it with them. I so appreciate you coming back week after week. Thank you so much for joining me. And I hope that you have a plantastic day. I hope that you enjoyed today's episode. Thank you for tuning in. And I look forward to having you back again next week. A very special thank you to the band Rocket Surgeons for permission to use the broccoli song. To find out more about the Rocket Surgeons, please visit their website at rocketsurgeonsband.com or Facebook at Rocket Surgeons Music. Please subscribe so that you never miss an episode. Also, all of my social media links can be found in the podcast description. Send me a message and let me know what you think of today's podcast sharing is caring. Please share, rate, and review my podcast and drop me a line if you have ideas for future episodes. Thank you once again and have a plantastic day. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. 
With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.